We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Welcome back to Babylon Singularity. I am your host, Peter Herter. Been walking with you through the Bible these last few episodes. We started off in Genesis talking about the forbidden fruit and the lure of intelligence as the pathway to God. And we fast forwarded to Genesis 28, talking about a dream that Jacob had, a dream of a, a staircase that came from heaven. Angels were ascending and descending, coming and going from heaven. And Jacob wakes up and says, this place, I've encountered God. God was in the staircase. He basically has this dream that says God is a staircase. He, he is the entrance point into the earth. And we later realize in the New Testament that Jesus himself identifies as Jacob's ladder or the staircase that Jacob saw in his dream. So Jesus is the entry point from heaven to the earth. He said, you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He said, I am the staircase that Jacob saw. And then, oh my goodness, no, I completely skipped over the Genesis 11 piece of the story where human beings unite as one and decide that they're going to break into the heavens. They're going to take their place among the gods. They're going to transcend. They're going to become transcendent. And the way they decide to do this is by building a sky-high tower, a temple that would reach into the clouds where they could then enter the place of the gods. And God sees this. He says, if I don't stop it, he says, anything that they imagine will become possible to them. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. In Genesis 11, God confuses the languages of mankind so that we cannot communicate with each other so that we can't get all get on the same page and decide to build a Babel, a tower of Babel. The name Babel means gateway of the gods. Because when humans come together, they, they come with, with really bad ideas and they also come into agreement with dark forces. And that's what was happening in Genesis 11. It wasn't just that they were building a skyscraper. It wasn't just the fact that they were building architecture that God objected to. It was the fact that they were trying to build a Babel, a gateway of the gods. Because God identifies himself as the gateway of God. He is the gate of God. Jesus said, I am the doorway. I'm the entry point. He says, the only way through is through me. If you want to get through, you've got to come through me. Jesus says, well, here we have in Genesis 11, human beings trying to find another way to heaven. And they thought they could build a tower to the clouds. Sounds like a silly idea, right? But uh, as it turns out, people are still trying to build a gateway of the gods. We're using our technology to do it. And actually, the ideas we have are actually worse now than it was trying to build a tower up into the sky. I mean, that might have been naive, but, you know, the things that we're doing now are just outright stupid. 
yet here we are doing them, right? So we got through Genesis 3, Genesis 11, Genesis 28. Then I fast-forwarded a little bit into um, Exodus chapter 20, where God warns us against uh, building artificial simulations of reality. Uh, he says, don't build, create images of anything that you see in creation, don't, and don't bow down to it. Don't serve it. Don't make it your God. Well, as it turns out, that's exactly what we're going to do again here. So we're, we're planning on building artificial simulations of the things that we see in our lives and bow down to them. Exactly the first thing God says not to do. Everyone who believes in the one true God must say that he does not want us building artificial simulations and bowing down to them. But as it turns out, again, we're facing a time in history where that will be the most pressing issue on the earth. We've lived decades where that issue has not has been irrelevant. Like what you know, I remember reading that commandment when I was in high school, thinking, "What am I reading? What is what is this book? What is, who wrote this? Why would I care about building some sort of thing that I bow down to?" Didn't. Didn't seem very relevant back then. It's beginning to seem very relevant now, and it'll be become more and more relevant in the days to come. Well, from there, I jumped forward a little bit into Joshua, um, talking about Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8, examining how the leader of Israel uh, went on a campaign against a city when they were taking the land in a campaign that was strikingly similar to the campaign we see in Revelation 19, where you have uh, the hero of the story draw out the enemy of the story out into a field, ambush them, and then kill every last one of them. That's the story of Joshua, chapter 7 and 8. Of course, there's a, there's a little piece in there about a guy who decides he wants to take a little piece of Babylon with him, and God deals sternly with them, purifies his people, and then empowers them with this dramatic plan that mirrors the plan that God launches in Revelation 19 with the return of the one upon the white horse, who draws his enemies out into bat battle. The enemies actually think they can defeat him. Not, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, right? Like who would think they can de defeat the guy coming from heaven on a white horse? Who thinks they can do that? Who's like, ah, oh, we could probably pull that one off. Now, if you're the guy on the white horse coming from heaven, you're the guy who is going to win. That's how this works. <laughs> the, uh, the devil has been deceiving people into trying to fight against God for a very long time. And uh, he's fooled many, many beings to do it because he's very intelligent. He's very crafty. He's very clever. In fact, I would say he's even super intelligent. He is a being so far beyond us intelligence that it, 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 it's not even, it's laughable for him to encounter any one of us individually. It's, it's, a, it's a joke to him. 
But with that intelligence, he has lured many into this idea that God is somehow um, able to be um, removed from authority somehow. And he has the way to do it, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dark, evil being who has dark, evil aims. And at the end of the day, that dark, evil being just really wants to enslave you and torture you. That's, that's really what he wants to do. He wants to enslave you in this life, bring you into darkness until you're dead. And then once you're dead, he wants to torture your whole, your soul forever. Cause kind of that's his consolation prize. I don't, I don't know how that all works, but that's what he does. And he's actively doing it now. And he's deceiving lots of people to get on board with this idea that God is somehow able to be dethroned and that he is the one to do it. Right. And so that is the, the picture that we see in Revelation 19, where you have the beast and the false prophet leading these kings and the nations of the earth to battle against the one who is coming. So the stage is set, the, the, the beast and the Antichrist somehow know, I don't know, it doesn't really give specifics, but somehow the beast and Antichrist know that they need to go fight this guy coming back from heaven and get everybody on board with it. And so somehow they get everyone on board with this ludicrous, evil plan. And then everybody marches off with them to be slaughtered in a field by the righteous one, the faithful one, faithful and true, leading the armies of heaven <laughs> it's this God who's coming back to reward those who loved him, who served him, who did his will, were pleasing to him. And that's what we want to be. And it's only possible through the Holy Spirit and through the blood of Christ through the blood of Jesus that washes us from all sin. And so tonight, I guess I, I just want to maybe just pray a little bit and then get back into the book of Joshua because it's such a fascinating book. And I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about Joshua without actually reading Joshua. And it's just going to be my last quick overview of this book that I've found very fascinating over the last two or three months. Very fascinating. And I'll get into the reasons why here in a moment. So Lord, we just ask you to open your word and magnify your name in our lives. Jesus, we ask you to come now by your spirit. Anoint this podcast, anoint this episode to reveal your love and your grace and your mercy and your glory, and your fierceness, and the fury of your wrath. You are a God to be praised, and honored, and obeyed. And we are humans, sinners, like David, prone to this and that, but made for one thing, and that is to seek your face all the days of our lives. And we want to seek your face now. Jesus, we're seeking your face and we're asking you to come by your spirit to illuminate your word and to strengthen us and, and plant your word in us deeply 
deeply and cause the, the seeds of your word to bring forth much fruit for your glory, for your glory. God, we look to you, Jesus. We ask you to open your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you. You revealed yourself in these pages. So we just open this open the Bible. We can read about you, and we are changed by it. And we thank you for the life-changing power of your word to come in. <clears throat> Fill us now, God. Anoint us. We look to you. We thank you for it. We give you glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, all right, guilty confession, the real... The original reason why I wanted to visit Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8 is because the city and the name of the city in the story is AI. It just turns out that the the city that most reflects the campaign in Revelation 19 is named AI. And I found that fascinating. And as I pursued that, I began to realize there's a lot more to the book of Joshua than I had understood in the past. Joshua has always been this kind of hidden book, you know, right after the book of Moses. And for whatever reason, all the like really big stuff happens, you know, in the book of Moses. And then you got, you got the Jericho, you know, you got the Jericho story where the wall falls down. You're like, okay, that's a great kid story. And then there's a couple other Military campaigns kind of describe, you know, getting into the land and then kind of what happens. And then, boom, off to the next thing, you know, right? So I've always, I've always vastly, vastly underestimated the importance of the book of Joshua. And it, it's become more and more clear to me that the book of Joshua is so important. is because that's the name that God gave his son, Right, and we and we lose we lose this because we've we've um, we've always understood the name of the Son of God as Jesus in English. I mean, it's it's the Greek version, but that's how, the, how that name has come to be. It's Jesus. When in reality, his name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua is the English name Joshua. So when God visits, you know, Joseph and Mary in the middle of the night and says, you will name him Yeshua, Jesus, Joshua. It is God choosing a name that says, hey, this is the, this is the name I want most associated with my son. God could have chosen any name, and he could have named Joshua any name, but he named Joshua, and Joshua did what Joshua was called to do, and then he named his son Joshua. So there is no coincidence here. It is totally on purpose that God says, I want Joshua to be the reference point for my son. When you think about my son, I want you to think about Joshua. Why is that important? His name is cool. It means Yahweh saves. His name is salvation. He is salvation. He is the staircase that Jacob dreamed of, the entrance point between heaven and earth. He is salvation. But more than the meaning of the Lord is our salvation, the saving God. 
More than that, there's an individual who lived, who was named Joshua, Yeshua, and he lived large in the imagination, in the Jewish mind. Joshua fulfilled the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses. All of those promises of a land and children, descendants, all of those promises were executed by Joshua. Joshua fulfilled what Moses failed to bring in the law. The children of Israel failed to enter the promised land. They lived under Moses. They lived under the law. The law couldn't save anyone. There was only one qualified during those years under the law. And the only one qualified was Joshua. And Joshua would be the only one who would enter into the promised land. Everybody else, every single soul would die in the desert. No one would survive the law. No one but one. The righteous one. Joshua. So you can see why God would say, yeah, I want Joshua to be the reference point for my son. Joshua's role, it was incredible. There's, there's a, a bunch of different verses here, and I'm just going to kind of get, get into them, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go quickly, and I'm going to kind of skim over the book of Joshua just to highlight a few things here. He says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them. Now let me skip forward just a little bit. Verse 5. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. He says to Joshua, Look, Joshua, you're going to go into the land that I promised you're going to execute the promises I have made. And he says, no man will be able to stand before you all of your days. All of your days. That's Jesus. That's Yeshua. No man could stand before Jesus all of his days. No one could oppose him or stop him. No one could outsmart him or intimidate him or manipulate him. No one could stand before Jesus all the days of his life. And now he is ascended on high and no one will stand before him ever you come on your knees. You bow low. 
He will lift you up. There is no love like the one I have found in Jesus. And that love is available to you today. God can change everything. Give you the meaning you are looking for. The truth that you're seeking. He can give it to you. So Joshua, incredible ministry. God says, you're not going to be able to stand before. No one's going to be able to stand before you all, all the days of your life. Then in verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. He says to Joshua, I want you to be courageous. I want you to be strong. Don't shrink back. Go all out. Trust me. He says, You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. Joshua executes the promise. What an amazing ministry he has. So Joshua takes command of the, the Israelite armies. He's entering into the promised land and the first city that they come into contact with is the city of Jericho. And Jericho has a huge wall around it, and it's impenetrable, and nobody can get through it, and it's, it's too much for anybody. And it's, it's, so much, it's so impenetrable that it is the pride of the city, this wall that is around it. It's thick. You can ride chariots around it. It is very, it's, it's a massive wall. Trump would be proud of that wall. He'd be like, yes. This is the kind of wall that America deserves. <laughs> and Joshua leads his army to, and God gives the very specific commands in taking these cities. It's not just like, you know what, Joshua, here's the deal. I just want you to go in the land, and just whoever you fight, you're going to defeat them, and then just go to the next one and defeat those guys. Um, it's not like that at all. It's like God has very specific instructions about each of these cities that, that Joshua is going to take. And the first one is Jericho, and it has this huge wall around it. And everybody, everybody assumes, like, this wall is so thick and so huge, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Well, there's, there is something that someone can do about it. You know, humans might, you know, have trouble knocking it down. You know, eventually we'd probably figure it out. But for God... He's just like, I'm just going to blow on it so that the walls fall out and then you guys you guys go ahead and run in there, right? You know, for so God like God doesn't look at a wall and go like, hmm, how am I going to get through that? You know, like, what am I, hmm, I don't know what to do here, right? He, he, he sees our, our wall and he giggles like, uh, you, you don't think that's going to get knocked down? Okay, <laughs> okay, this will be fun, right? Uh, and so, so he has very specific instructions because, you know, we all know God knows how to take a city, you know, I mean, God could have, God could have just like picked up the walls and just started dropping them on the people one by one until they were all gone. Right. Um, God could have done all sorts of things, 
But he says, all right, you guys, here's the, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take seven priests and give them seven trumpets. So there's going to be seven trumpets in this equation. And you're going to take those seven priests and you're going to march around that city for seven days. For seven days. And then on the seventh day, and that's right, on each of those days, you're going to blow a trumpet. So the first day, blow one. On the second one, you know, blow one. You got two, third, so you got this series of trumpets being blown day after day as they go march around the city. Finally, you have the seventh day when they are to blow their trumpets seven times and then give a great shout. And so that's what they do. They they march around seven times and they blow the trumpets seven times. And on the seventh blaring of the trumpets, and the yelling and the shouting to the Lord, the walls of the city fall down, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Just reminding you. And that one is actually uh, a curious display when you look at it because God does this other display later on in the Bible that consists of seven trumpets. This time it's not priests, it's angels. It's ministers of the Lord. They have seven angels and they, they each blow the trumpet. And each time they blow the trumpet, it releases a new level of um, intensity and, and birth pangs into the earth. Until the final trumpet blows, the seventh trumpet. Remember when, this, when the seventh trumpet of Jericho was blown, the, the walls fell down? Well, in the seventh trumpet of these angels in this uh, dramatic display um, in, that was given to John in, this, in the heavens, um, we have the seventh trumpet being blown and then a great shout that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Christ. The walls that once held the world together come falling down. All of the ways that the world thought that they were protected and insulated, all the, way that, all the ways they thought they were secure from threats, get knocked down. And there's a great shout in heaven. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Christ. And it's at that, it's at that seventh trumpet that another thing happens. Jesus calls his beloved forth from the earth. And there is a rapture, a glorious, true rapture at the seventh trumpet, like Paul says. So, again, with Joshua, we have these incredible parallels. We have Joshua, this man who was going to execute the promises of God. No one would be able to stand before him all the days of his life who would cause the people to inherit the, the promise. He would be the cause of the people Inheriting the promise. He leads a campaign into Jericho. Seven trumpets are blown on the seventh trumpet. When it's blown, the walls of the city come down. They take the city. 
they move on to the next city. It's AI. And we've talked about AI um, over the last couple episodes, so I don't need to necessarily get into this. This was just kind of a final kind of wrap up. I don't want to say final, but next kind of level for me anyway, a wrap up of the importance of the book of Joshua and why I don't want to leave that book too quickly. I want to I want to spend time in Joshua. I want to I want to I want to put extra set of eyes on Joshua now. I've I've gotten so much out of out of reading the story over the last few weeks and months that I, I'm not ready to leave it yet. I want to I want as as much as I've underestimated it. I want to overestimate it for a little while. Anyway, until you know the Lord moves on to the next thing. But I wanted this episode to be kind of the wrap-up episode of the importance of the book of Joshua, that there's a lot to it, and it's not just it's not just that, oh, Joshua goes up a city, it goes up against a city called AI, and the campaign against AI is very similar to the campaign we see playing out in Revelation 19. It's not just that, which is a very, very important point, but the bigger point is that our Jesus, our Yeshua, the Messiah and Savior. His name is Joshua. His name is God saves. Yahweh is salvation. That's what his name means. He could he could his name could have been fury and wrath. His name his name his name could have been so many things. All just and right. But he chooses that God is salvation. That is the longing of his heart, that we would be saved from sin and from death. And that's what we look to, to look forward to do in this episode and in the episodes to come. Um, I guess I would just call that the, the wrap-up episode of Joshua Overview, Importance of the Book of, of Joshua. Um, and, and and look forward to the next few episodes when we start diving into some more of the prophetic books like uh, the book of Daniel. Um, obviously, some some New Testament stuff as well. Um, there's there's a number of places I can camp out kind of in, in the next next weeks, but I'm I am looking forward to getting into the book of Daniel. So I'll be doing that pretty soon. But uh, thanks for joining me today. And uh, hope to get with you next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.